You can't hear something? The speaker's off? Turn it on. Jacob's got to turn his ears up. Dave, climb that wall and turn that up, will you? All right, you pray for us. we got to uh, pay all the bills here tomorrow and get everything, so we need to make sure we have all that in. Whatever the Lord leads you to do, just please do that as we finish up here and get everything taken care of here. i got to send that off tomorrow. It's a little bit behind what I normally send it off at, but that's okay. It's just a few days difference. But uh, we got to do that and uh, pray for one another and the finances and everything, that, not just for us, but for each other. Uh, lots of... Um, Lots of expenses, lots of bills, and for everybody. And uh, this uh, doesn't get any easier. So you pray uh, about that. Pray for one another and um, uh, pray for uh, all the needs that we have here as well. And let's be faithful with what the Lord would have us to do here. Uh, Revelation chapter 17 here. uh, The Bible says this in verse number 4, And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her head was the name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman, and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. Father, please bless us now as we go through this bit of history. And we thank you for uh, Jesus Christ, first of all. And we thank you, Father, for faithful men and women that kept the faith through tyranny and through abuse and through persecution and through all things. Lord, we thank you for these martyrs of the faith and their service to you and help us to be faithful in our day, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, you know, it's interesting. We're talking about uh, back there, we were discussing the police and different things that, uh, you know, had happened uh, during uh, when we were out preaching and how we're turning in that into a lawyer and, and going through all those things. I, you know, I think about these folks that, that rarely had, the, you know, they had the full force of the beast system upon them and had no um, uh, no recourse. You know, they were just uh, at times uh, completely taken by it and, uh, you know, destroyed. So uh, in this, we thank God for, for His grace, you know, that, that He's uh, given, uh, you know, to protect uh, us and those Baptist people that, that uh, stood up for their God-given rights. And... Uh, and got the state uh, to recognize their God-given rights. And uh, we thank God for that. Uh, and we, we appreciate that. And our, the way we can thank God for that is to continue to be faithful to exercise that gift. When you and I go out and preach the gospel, when we as a church go out and preach the gospel, hand out tracts, preach the Word of God in the open air, we are doing our part to further that great truth. And you notice something, and I want you to be very clear about that. I want to be very clear about that, that what I stated to those police, these are our God-given rights recognized by the First Amendment, recognized by the, by the Bill of Rights. We, we did not give the credit to the Bill of Rights. We give the, the glory to God. Our rights are given by God. They are not given by the government. If the government is wise, they'll respect the rights that God has given us. If they're fools, they won't, and they'll see to their own destruction. And the people of this country are seeing to their own destruction when they don't recognize that. 
right? So that, we just be clear about that, that we don't, we don't, our allegiance is to no government, it is to God. Our allegiance is for what God has done. And we use the system that we are in, right? But we realize that our, our king is in heaven. And uh, one day we'll see him face to face. Amen. At about AD 910, or very close to the beginning of this century, the ancient writers place Giselbert, a man of learning, but accused of strange opinions by his adversaries, whom the emergency of the time compelled to stoop and hide under the ravages of popery. He, though others have regarded him as a member of the Roman Church, opposed, apparently, as much as lay in his power, the Pope and the Roman Church. And this not a little in the matter of baptism. For while the Pope and the Roman Church generally taught that it was necessary, yea, upon pain of damnation, to baptize the infants, notwithstanding they have not and cannot have either true regeneration or a goodwill intention, which are nevertheless required of candidates. Turn to Matthew chapter 3, verse number 7. See, this man, he, what he stood up for is he said, look, the infants can't do that. That's not biblical. You will find that the, the, the battle through the ages uh, since Christ and uh, since Christ came, died, was buried, rose again from the dead and ascended up into heaven. And his apostles would further and the apostle Paul that would further the revelation of the mystery of Jew and Gentile together into the body of Christ and churches would be planted all over the known world. What you will find is uh, there came around 300, a little bit after 380, the popularity would go into about the 700s when it would become really popular. But infant baptism would start to rise in popularity and be forced. And, but you will find that the battle would then rage between those that held to infant baptism, which was the badge of Antichrist and still is, and those that held to believer's baptism. Those that held to believer's baptism always held to religious liberty. They always held to a liberty based on the scriptures, a liberty of, of conscience. Whereas those that held infant baptism, for the most part, would use the state to control. They would use the state to, uh, uh, to uh, initiate retribution upon those that would not adhere to infant baptism. Why? Because infant baptism is the only way that they could build the beast system. They had to force men from the cradle to the grave for Rome to be in control of them in order to keep their dominance and their power, right? So the, the mothers... Uh, or the, the children of the harlot would do the same thing. They would try to enforce infant baptism. Well, that would never set well with baptized believers that understood the scriptures and what the Bible said. They would always war against that in the spirit. They would always war against that by preaching against it. Matthew chapter 3, verse number 7 says this, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. He's speaking to those that wanted to be baptized. If they did want to be baptized, they had to bring forth fruit, meats for repentance. That means they had to acknowledge their sin and know that they needed to follow the Lord. Well, a baby doesn't know that. An infant doesn't know that, so it's preposterous to have them baptized or to attempt to have them baptized. He taught that it is indeed necessary to salvation be baptized, but that said baptism must be connected with regeneration. What did he mean by that? What he meant by that was is that those that are regenerated 
should be baptized. And if you tried to be baptized before you were regenerated, you just got wet. You didn't get baptized. The scriptures assume that if somebody is born again by the Spirit of God, it not only commands it, but it assumes it that you would be scripturally baptized. Baptists used to preach baptism very uh, uh, intricately and forcefully after salvation, and they would do that because they looked in the scriptures and they that gladly received his word were then baptized. So they would look at you and they would doubt whether you were truly a born-again Christian because you had no desire to be baptized. Well, I mean, why wouldn't you? Well, let me ask you a question. As you read the scriptures and you look at them, why would anybody that read the scriptures, not if any influence of Rome or anybody else, but if you just read the scriptures and you read that they that gladly received his word were then baptized, wouldn't you wonder if you received his word why you didn't want to be baptized? Why wouldn't you want to follow the Lord? Why wouldn't you want to honor the Lord? Why wouldn't you want to identify with Christ? Well, that's what these men wondered. Whether I agree with all of their language and the way that they describe it is another thing altogether. But the, but the point is, is that what they're saying is true. Why wouldn't you want to be baptized? Why? They would look at, by the way, I, I don't know if you understand this, but those that were regenerated and born again that lived under this tyranny of Rome, and they lived under the tyranny of those things, they would never believe you if you told them you were a saved child of God and you had the opportunity to be baptized scripturally and you had no desire to be. Like they would doubt whether you were saved. Because this system that's in America today is totally foreign to what our forefathers went through for many hundreds of, well, let's, let's say um, uh, 1,500 years or more, more, 1,800, 1,900 years, 1,800 years. It's why? Well, because Christians got baptized and then they got murdered. <laughs> that's just, I mean, they, they, they got saved. They got called to preach. Some of them, those men did. They, they got baptized. And then if Rome found out about it, they got killed. And that was just like the normal that was the way life was. So when you, if you showed them a place where you have perfect liberty, where, where in that sense where no one's going to kill you, they'd be like, well, why in the world wouldn't you be baptized? Why, what's wrong with you? Why wouldn't you want to be? Why wouldn't you want to follow the Lord? But see, we're so afraid to preach the Bible like that today. Uh, and it says, well, look, do you see anywhere in the scriptures where people that, are, that, that come to Christ, that they get, they get saved and that, that they, they, they don't get baptized? They don't want to? I'm not preaching Campbellite doctrine to you. I'm preaching Bible doctrine to you. I, I realize that water doesn't save anybody. It's blood that saves, and Jesus died for our sins and was buried and rose again from the dead. But... That should never take away from the command that, to be baptized, right? To follow the Lord. We have good reason to look at men and wonder and say and ask them why. Well, don't, aren't you a Christian? Aren't you a born-again believer? Don't you want to follow Christ? Don't you have that desire? We should. That should be a normal conversation with people. It's not today. You know why? Because people are too afraid to have that conversation the most part. Many are. When we're out on the street and we talk to these people and they say they're saved, we need to start looking at them and ask them, well, where did you get baptized then? Ask them. Let's ask them. For, let, let's try to make that a practice. When, we, when we're out there preaching, uh, that we ask them, well, what, what church did you get? Did you get scripturally baptized in? What church did you get scripturally baptized in? You know how much of a conversation they say, well, uh, Aunt Nellie baptized me in the in the in the bathtub. 
Well, that's not baptism. Let me show you what the Bible says about baptism. There's another conversation for you to have with them. Right? Why not? That's how, that's how we disciple people, right? We tell them the truth. We try to, well, if you're saved, then where are you going to church? Where are, you, are you living for God? Are you going to church? Have you been baptized? Do you follow the Lord? That's what they did. Like it was expected. Gizelbert says, it is true, God can save, yet man cannot be saved, he says, without baptism. That is, that baptism which is accompanied with regeneration, as the following words declare. So what he believed was, he didn't believe a man was saved unless he was, number one, born again by the Spirit of God, and number two, he followed the Lord in believers' baptism. He just didn't believe it. Now, we know there are people that got saved that didn't get baptized. We understand that, but that's what he believed. <laughs> So the point of Martyr's Mirrors, though, is he's not saying he agrees with their doctrine. He's saying that they believe that a man, when they were saved, they were baptized. Now, we, we believe that men are regenerated, and some of them don't get baptized. But we, that doesn't mean we shouldn't ask them and shouldn't say, why aren't you? Why aren't you following the Lord? Why aren't you faithful to God? Amen. That's right. That's exactly true. And that's what he's saying there. Like, I'm not going to treat... I mean, if you're not... like if you're not treating yourself that way, why should I treat you some way different than you're treating... Exactly. Yourself? Like, you don't even act like you're my brother in Christ. You don't want to be... I, you don't want to identify with the Lord's church. Why? Are you ashamed of the gospel? That's right. Yeah, because there should be a problem where if, if you don't have a desire for that. And that's what this man, I believe, is saying the same thing. He's saying, well, I don't even believe it. Spurgeon said the same thing many times over. He said, I don't even believe they're, I mean, why wouldn't you? The scriptures are very clear about it. Why, what's wrong? And they are very clear. Hence, when he there speaks of a good will of man, it is quite evident that he treats neither of infants nor of infant baptism, seeing infants have no knowledge of either good or bad, will nor of baptism nor of regeneration to which said passage Gizelbert also has reference much less have they the ability to worthily begin and execute all this for the proper reception of baptism he intends simply to say that baptism is indeed necessary yet not without regeneration see so he's saying that just because you get wet don't mean you're saved he's saying you got to be regenerated that's what he means by by it's necessary in that sense like why you got to be regenerated otherwise you just get wet that ain't going to do you any good. Which regeneration he regards as the most important of all, according to John 3, 5. Right, he says it's, it's important. So, from which he concludes that it is not in the power of man to reject this way, namely to separate regeneration from baptism or baptism from regeneration, which is a stricter, stricter upon those who were wont to reject the baptism of regenerated or repentant or penitent and to go another way, as did the Pharisees. So, he's saying that they ought to come to baptism, and he just didn't believe it. He just... Now, whether he's correct in everything he's saying, we know what our correct doctrine is, what the Bible says. Very clearly, they that gladly received his word were then baptized. So that's what we ought to do. It's in the simplest forms. Should I, like, like Brother Paul said, should I count you as a brother or sister in Christ if you have no desire to be baptized? Well, you're not in fellowship with us. You're not in unity with us. You don't seem to have a desire to be. So why should we, right? 
but in order that no one needs sorrow who having attained to regeneration could not receive baptism, listen, so here's how he makes it clear, on account of serious obstacles of the want or fitting opportunity, and hence might imagine that there was no grace or mercy of God for him, he adds this consolation, namely, that it is in God's power, if man cannot obtain the means of baptism, to accept graciously his goodwill. So he's saying that it's God, I mean, God saves you, so if you can't get baptized. In other words, what he was saying is, if you died a martyr because someone found out you got saved and, and they killed you and you couldn't be baptized, you're not going to hell. <laughs> you're already a Christian. You're born again. See, so he's not being this, he's not, he's not preaching Camelite doctrine. He's not saying that you have to be baptized. He's saying that being born again and being baptized are intricately a part of your Christian life. And whether I would word it a, a tad bit differently, I probably would now, you know, and be more clear. But I get what he's saying and why he's saying it. He was seeing the importance of it. You understand, these people were hunted down and murdered like dogs. So they had no respect for people that wouldn't stand for the Lord, that turned their back on God or, or named the name of Christ but didn't depart from iniquity and didn't want to follow the Lord and be baptized. They just didn't, they didn't, they just didn't want anything to do with them. If they, they, they treated them in love, but they just would not fellowship with them intimately like that because there was no need to. Whatever others, especially pe papistic writers, may have recorded of Gizelbert's belief, detrimental to or at least against this point of view, we let them be responsible. For it is, this is certain, that we have not as yet been able to find anything to the contrary in any authentic writer. So, you know, he's writing about somebody that wrote a thousand years ago. <laughs> um, about 925 shortly after, or very near the time of Gisbert and Ansbert is mentioned, who writing on several matters of faith or articles of religion, also makes mention of baptism, approaching here and very closely the language, or at least the sense of the holy apostles, which appears from the following testimonies, which were not, which were born not of blood, but of God, of God that is through the preached word and the washing regeneration by which mysteries, namely preaching and the washing regeneration, Renewing of the Holy Ghost, right? Uh, Christ still daily begets and brings forth unto himself heirs. Here he connects the word of God or preaching with the washing regeneration. Also, or baptism, he says, that by them Christ begets and brings forth unto himself heirs. How could anybody more plainly declare what true baptism is, what belongs to it? It's a picture of that, right? Baptism is a picture of you being washed in regeneration, right? It's a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. You go down into the grave and you die, right? You're brought back up to walk in newness of life. So it's a picture of that regeneration. It's a picture of what took place when you were saved. Our, our imagery and the way that we explain things has probably changed over the years too. Uh, or Roman Catholicism has adopted many things and kind of perverted and twisted some of the things to make it you know, to, to, to make it sound, well, in their ways, it is pagan and it's wrong in this sense. Now, some of these men, again, I would not explain things sometimes the way that they do, but there are always men that have pictures of things that they try to explain. But I understand the, the type that he's explaining here and what he is saying here. Um, but he connects the Word of God very strongly to that or the preaching of the gospel. So what is, he, what is he connecting? The preaching of the gospel, men being regenerated, men being baptized. What did Jesus say? Go ye into, therefore into all the world preach the gospel to every creature. Then he says, he says, baptizing them, right? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Right? That's, so he's preaching the Great Commission is what they're preaching. Um, 
they've often been, many of these men are often, when people look at them with eyes a thousand years later, they will think that all these men are preaching baptismal regeneration. I don't believe they are. They're very clear that, that water cannot save you. They're very clear about those things. Now, the papists weren't clear about it. Neither were the Lutherans. They believe in the saving waters of baptism. They speak of the baptism being the regeneration, not the baptism coming after the regeneration, right? So that, that's the difference in, in what these men would be explaining there, I believe, anyway. Um, he, he talks about regeneration being necessary before someone is baptized again. He says that again. Uh, the preached word, for as the apostles declare, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The preached word is therefore the means by which to attain to the faith, and faith is the foundation upon which truly to receive baptism. Makes sense, doesn't it? So babies can't have faith. They don't have faith. Infants don't have faith. If I looked at Silas and said, repent, and right? It's not going to go well, is it? Look down at Silas or look down at your little one and go ahead, Garrick, you can look down at your daughter and be like, repent. Believe the gospel and I'm going to look up at you just like, almost just like some sinners look up at us. <laughs> but honestly, they're babies. They can't, right? They have no. Every time you see baptism in the Bible, you don't see that. So why is this important? Like, why do we go through this history, Pastor? Why are we talking about the doctrine that through the ages and through this? Because you, some of you, how many grew up with Protestant or Catholic history? How many heard Protestant or Catholic history? Okay, so you heard a little bit of both, right? Protestant history, Catholic history. Uh, Paul, you grew up with Protestant history, right? S somewhat you would have learned that Protestant history. They, they, you won't hear the history of baptized, that there were people in 910 AD, right, that preached believers baptism you wouldn't know that unless some preacher stood up and told you that you wouldn't know modern day americans wouldn't have known that history unless it was for a handful of men and there's about five of them that taught it for the 200 years i mean there was more men that taught it there were five men that gathered it in america to give you that ancient baptist history and to bring it here so people would understand well this isn't a new thing it's believer's baptism isn't new. It wasn't discovered after the Reformation. It wasn't. the belief, But the history that you get told is, well, Martin Luther nailed his 95 feces on the wall, and after, after he nailed it on the wall and did that, then, you know, um, the gospel was rediscovered again. People started believing, and, and that's just the, I mean, that's what they, that's what they tell you. Not like that. I'm being a little more facetious when I, as I explain it. But, but that's how they. That's how they. That's the history that you're told. You're never told about these people who were murdered and or they were martyred for their faith, because they. And you'll always be told, well, you know, Baptists just came along with the crazy Anabaptists that came, and the crazy Anabaptists started immersing people, but that wasn't really a common practice. They just kind of invented that. Well. Have you ever read a Bible? They didn't invent anything. It was, well, it disappeared. Baptism really disappeared for about a thousand years, 1500 years or so. Right? What's that? Yeah, in the dark ages. Baptism just disappeared. It kind of did. Now, they don't, now, now our Protestant friends, and I use that loosely because uh, I don't have very many, but um, 
if I have any. They, they wouldn't say it like that. They say it in a nice, sweeter package, and they're more educated than me, so they say it really nice. And it makes it sound like it's really, it's real. Like, they make it sound like that history is actually real. Why? Well, they don't like this history. You know what I've been called because I've preached this history? Oh, you're a Baptist prider. Not a brider, a Baptist prider. You gotta, you gotta talk about Baptist history, Baptist. No one ever has a problem with talking about Zwingli and no, they don't have a, a, a talking about Calvin, talking about Luther, talking about all those men. But when you start talking about Baptist baptized believers, and you start talking about their history, why? Well, that's church. That's real church history. That's why they don't want you to talk about that. They don't what prove it. Well, most of the colleges don't give it. They don't, they, don't, they don't give the history of Baptists. They give you a Protestant history. They tell you, I want, they, have, they, have their, they have Baptist colleges visiting Ulrich Zwingli's site to see his, see what a great reformer he was. I kid you not, Brother Beller told the story. I was in that tour when he told it. A few, he's told it a few times, but many times. But he's in that story. He goes, he goes these Baptists are visiting Ulrich Zwingli over there and, and right, they're standing right there and they're looking up at his statue. Down below, they're standing on the marker of the Anabaptists that were drowned by Zwingli. And they're standing on the marker while they're lifting up this man that would have killed them. Right. Right. They would have killed them. And they're, oh, he's such a great man. It's like he's a murderer. He killed them. He goes, I'm going to give them their third baptism. And he drowned them all. I will never, by God's grace, stop telling those stories. I will not stop telling those. Or these people. If only one little church out there in the middle of nowhere tell, tells the story of these people that died, that were willing to stand up against popery and not try to be pope light and run their own kingdoms. They never wanted to run kingdoms. All they wanted to do is preach the gospel, live, uh, raise their children, raise their grandchildren, and die and go home to be with the Lord. That's what they wanted to do. But they, many times they weren't afforded that. They were hunted down like animals. So I, I don't get all warm and squishy and fuzzy when you talk about these reformers. I just, I just tell it like it is. I don't have a lot of but they, by the way, don't you think if they were truly repentant, they'd actually tell the story? How come they never do it? Why don't you ever hear the Protestants tell the story? Why don't they ever tell the history? Why do they leave? Why do they conveniently leave that out? It was like Isaac Backus in New England. You know why Isaac Backus wrote his two volumes set in New England? Because the Puritans called their, their set church history. The Mathers did. They, they called it church history. Guess who they left out? Them little heretic Anabaptists over there. They just told stories about how they were a bunch of witches and stuff. <laughs> little devils. And then you're like, wait a minute, so Isaac Backus writes his history. And you're like, oh, these are the history of the baptized believers in New England. Whoa, that's a different history, isn't it? Yeah. So instead of giving John Calvin credit for why you have a First Amendment today and giving these other reformers credit for why you have a First Amendment today, you could actually realize that it was baptized believers that stood for the faith, which is one of the major reasons why you have that today. Right? 
That's why I'm going to use this Anoka stuff. I'm going to use the Canada stuff, and I'm going to tell that story in a documentary format to people so they understand how that happened. I'm sick and tired of people that didn't do anything to help that get the credit for that. When those poor baptized believers are the ones that suffered for it, Obadiah Holmes crippled up for the rest of his life after they did that to him. Him, them looking at John Clark and say, you ought to die for what you've done. What did he do? He baptized one of his converts. Held a service at his house. He should just kill that guy. Right? That's why. That's why we tell this. So people know that there were people in 900 AD that actually believed the Bible. It wasn't all Roman Catholicism. I know that's not what you've heard. I know that's not the history you hear. You hear, well, everybody was part of, everybody was Catholic. Everybody was Catholic. Until Martin Luther came along. Everybody was Catholic. Really? The Donatists weren't. Really? The Novatius weren't. The Petrobutians weren't. All these guys weren't. <laughs> huh. Didn't hear that, did you? Not till a man named J.T. Uh, JT Christian came along. And he, said, and he wrote his entire history and, and showed Americans that, uh, American Baptists, oh, yeah, because men would say, well, they weren't really around. That all happened. They're post-Reformation. He proved that the Baptists were ancient people. All the way back. This is how we go a long time, I know, but anyway. It's important. It's important to me. It matters to me. It matters to me that if I pass this on to you, that I've done what I was supposed to do. I, I, I didn't, like, keep quiet. I, I told your children the history. By the time they're done, your children will know more, more Baptist history than the people that teach it in colleges. Because they don't know any anyway, so you're already ahead of the game. Right? They don't educate those people. They don't educate those children on anything. They're curriculums. We have to write more Baptist history into our curriculums. We have to write Baptist history into curriculums. We need more of it. Brother Beller has a good collegiate workbook, and, there's other, and that should be part of your schooling. That collegiate Baptist history workbook should be part of it. It's a very important thing for people to understand. That's what I'm going through with you right now. We kind of veer off because I take different, you know, I use more materials. Because, Lord willing, we have years to do it, right? But that's why I do it that way. Because I want you to understand that there, weren't, there were people that stood for the faith. Your, this didn't just get born out of some Protestant Reformation. And it sure didn't start in America. And it sure just didn't start with your parents. It goes all the way back to this King James Bible, and then, it, and then it goes on through the centuries, right? It's important for you to understand that. Because if not, then you'll, you'll, you'll think that because the, the oldest, you hear that, that garbage, the oldest and the best manuscripts and the oldest and best teachers and all these other things. Well, the oldest and the best, they usually lie is what they do. When, when you hear somebody say, you ought to run when you hear the oldest and the best manuscripts and things like that. You ought to run from that when you hear that. Some, yeah, the church fathers are, somebody's lying to you. <laughs> they're, they're getting ready to lie to you. That's right. They are the fathers, right? That's what it says. Right. Okay. The preached word is therefore the means by which to attain to the faith. The faith is the foundation upon which truly to be received baptism. As necessary then as faith is in order to be truly baptized upon it, so necessary also is the preached word in order to truly believe. Consequently, Answered has justly joined the preached word to baptism 
as a proof that it belongs to it, according to the words of Christ. Preach the gospel, he that believeth and is baptized. Thirdly, what fruit proceeds from such baptism when it is accompanied with regeneration and the preached word of God he expresses with these words, by which mysteries Christ still daily begets and brings forth unto himself heirs. He's saying, preach the word, they get, they get saved, they get baptized, they follow the Lord. Great commission. Yeah, and they won't kill people, that's right. <laughs> Point number four, don't kill people. Um, Ye are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. These then who by this means become children of God also become his heirs and joint heirs with Christ. He's just preaching Bible doctrine. He says, The Trinity of the Godhead we dare not and shall not pass by unnoticed, especially when we are baptized upon the confession of the Holy Trinity and are saved in the faith of the unity of the same. So he's talking the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, right? And by the way, those are, what that means is by the authority of, that's what it means, right? It's not some special incantation of words that have to be said. When, they, when the Bible talks about they were baptized in the name of Jesus, that's upon the authority of Christ. It doesn't mean that if you, if you don't say, if you're not baptized in the name of Jesus, you're not really baptized. Well, all scriptural baptize, baptism is in the name of Jesus. How could it not be? It's in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. All of it, whether I say it or not, it is. Why? It's His ordinance. It's Christ's ordinance. <laughs> it's, it's, all, it's, it's all done that way. I mean, it's just that you have these people that say, oh, did, I got baptized in Jesus only. <laughs> what in the world does that even mean? It's a Pentecostal that said that, so you can understand the confusion. Yeah, schismatics, that's right. Unscriptural schismatics, right? Here, here he again connects baptism with confession and faith. Yea, he says that, we are baptized upon confession and saved in faith. Certainly there is not a letter in the above passage which savors infant baptism, but every word denies, yea, opposes it, inasmuch as here such a baptism only is spoken of as is received with faith in the confession of the same. But that this can be done by infants militates not only against the Holy Scriptures, but also against nature. <laughs> the Scriptures are against infant baptism, and so is nature. You can't even... They can't receive anything. They can't talk of anything. They can't do anything like that. It's nonsense. It's important because, see, Martyr's Mirrors is not only a record. It's a record of doctrine, believer's baptism through the ages. He not only is going to give you the martyrs, which we haven't got to this week. We'll get to. We wouldn't have anyway yet, but we'll get to the, the actual martyrs of that. But he's given you the, the doctrine of believer's baptism. Why? Well, because they've already told you that people were infant baptized and they already have a record of that, and they'll show you that, that, that they, they show you their nostalgic, you know, church fathers and everything else. They show you the, uh, the history of infant baptism. Well, what is it? Well, it's nonsense is what it is. It's not scriptural, number one. Our authority is always the Word of God, number one. Number two, we look at, like, well, what, what did they do, you know, history-wise? Now, the authority is the Bible. We don't care what history does. When history disagrees with the Bible, we disagree with history. I'll say this to you again. When history disagrees with the Bible, we disagree with history. Whether it's a Baptist or whoever it is, we don't care. If they're wrong, they're wrong. God's Word is always right. This, I submit to this book. That's, that's right. So that's the way it goes. That's the way we look at history. We're not Roman Catholic. Our whole argument does not fall apart if somebody in history was wrong. Right? It doesn't fall apart. Why? Because our arguments are biblically based. We just show you that whether you whether you see it or not, 
or whether you've been told or not, there are people that held to the faith once delivered on the saints. And by the way, the reason we know they did is because God promised they would. The second reason we know is because we see it in history, but we know it from the scriptures. That's our authority. Never forget that though I teach you history, I don't submit to history, I submit to God's word. I never submit to history over God's word. I always, I always submit to God's word first. That's how you have to view history. Whether men were right or whether they were wrong, God's word is always right. Because we're not Roman Catholics. We're not. We don't believe, put tradition over Bible. We throw tradition out and we take the word of God. Always. It always must be that way. Otherwise, you'll get into a lot of bad heresies by not doing that. Because men were wrong. I hate to break it to you. Men are wrong now. We've been wrong before. We'll be wrong again. And men are wrong. But God's word is always right. That's what the, we always submit to the book. That's very important for you to understand as you view things through history. Because there's been a lot of men that have been swayed by history right. away from the Bible. Away from the truth of the scriptures, the simplicity that's in Christ for the traditions of men, vain traditions of men. It's dangerous to do that. So we always submit to the word of God. I don't care what it looks like. We always submit to God's word. That's, that's very important for you to understand uh, when, when studying anything in history. Ansbert says, he that has been washed in baptism from dead works and after such washing again commits its sins unto death. It avails him nothing that he was washed. Hence the Lord through Isaiah admonishes, wash ye, make you clean. He washes and cleanses himself who commits no new sins after baptism, but he that conducts himself thus that after such washing he again pollutes the white robe with sin. Let him still not despair of remission if he desires to be washed again, for there is yet another baptism with which publicans and harlots are always baptized. And what other is it but the wellspring of tears in which Mary Magdalene polluted with many a stain of vice and Peter, when he has thrice denied the Lord, washed themselves. What is he talking about here? He's saying basically that you're born again by the Spirit of God. It's God that saves you, and you should walk in newness of life after you're baptized. You walk in newness of life. Your life is different. If your life is the same and you still live the same old rotten, wicked way, you're running around like a whore, you're running around like a whoremonger, you're running around like a wicked man drinking booze, partying up. You're, don't think that because you got baptized that you're right with God, that you're okay. If you don't have free, uh, works meet for repentance, fruit meets work for repentance, you're in trouble. You ought to have a changed life. See, they didn't, they didn't believe that a man was even a born-again believer. After he, if, he, if he took baptism and he walked in this, the way of the world and he continued, like they just looked at you like you were a heathen and a publican. Like you, you, I mean, you're not following Christ. You're not obeying him. Why? This whole passage is a warning to those who, having committed sins unto death, were baptized for the remission of the same, that they should not rely upon this, otherwise they might be deceived. Hence, against such there are spoken these words, he that after washing again commits such... So look at, put it in the context. What he's saying is there were people that would go get baptized after they committed grievous and wicked sins, and they, they, and they, they, they trusted in their baptism, right? After they lived wickedly. And he's like, well, that's not... You know, they, they go live in wicked sin and then go get baptized. He's like, don't do that. Yeah, like that guy. Every seven years I get baptized, that guy told me. I don't want to take my chances. He's the guy that said he preached to squirrels like Francis Assisi. 
Every creature, Pastor. Every creature. They are. Every got any water here? Nope. <laughs> All dried up. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> he always wanted me. He wanted me to go back to the hotel with his. He said he had his wife was there, and like I never met her. I was like, why didn't you bring her here? I mean, we're all here. His wife was eighty, and he was like forty-five. Or <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's like, why don't you come over and talk to my wife? I'm like, yeah, this is no. You can bring her here. She can come talk here. Dave stressed him out so bad that he went around back and smoked a cigarette. Yeah, I gotta have a smoke, man. That guy, he's like, he he's, he said to me, he's like, he's like, look, Pastor, you watch that guy, you watch him. Anybody that'll talk bad like that, he's he's gonna get you. I'm watching him. Like I said, you couldn't make it up, like. Like, it's not like, like, you couldn't write a script for a play or a movie like this, like a, you, you couldn't. It's like, you're like. <laughs> Nobody will believe it. They'll think it's fiction. I'll be like, no, it really happened, all of it. And then our children will be like, no, it happened, every single thing. Anyway. But, he says, then follows an admonition not to fall into new sins after baptism, yet that any who had fallen, you know, that they, they could be saved. Then it is told that if they weren't saved. Then it was told that persons were once baptized with the baptism of tears, namely publicans and harlots, Mary Magdalene. So he's talking about repentance. Like they, re they really, they have a baptism of sorrow. Like it's real. Like they, now he's not talking about water baptism. He's talking about a picture of like you and I, if we sin against God, we have sorrow in our hearts. It bothers us. Like we don't get away with it. We don't just like sin and be like, eh, it's, it's okay. No big deal. It bothers us, right? It may not, nobody else may know what we're going through, but it bothers us that we've sinned against God, that we've, that's, sorrow happens with sin. It brings sorrow. And it's supposed to, to the believer, it brings sorrow. You know, because God does that so we don't think that we can sin and be all right, that God doesn't care about our sin. He allows us to go through sorrow, which we need uh, in this life. Judge now whether the above stated things can be done by infants or whether they are peculiar only to the adult and intelligent, and we are fully confident that if you are impartial, you will choose the latter and reject the former. We'll stop there. But, uh, and we've got much more to go. But anyway, he's saying, you just look at that. Does that sound like an infant can do that? Does that sound like they believe that back then? Why does that matter? Well, because, again, you're told that in Roman Catholicism and in the history that, well, everybody was a part of Rome, and then it, everybody broke away with Luther, and then this happened, and then that, and then, and then Protestants came from that, and then Baptists are like our Protestants. They're from the Protestant. They were born in the Protestant Reformation. This is 910. These weren't Catholics. These people didn't practice infant baptism. These people practiced believer's baptism. They preached the gospel. They obeyed the Great Commission. They started churches, and they were in opposition to Rome. And for it, many of them were martyred, which we'll see when we get to that in this century. So that's important for you to understand that it wasn't some new doctrine that was born out of the Protestant Reformation. No, this is Bible doctrine that's been around ever since Christ in the Jordan River. That's right. 
and that's God's promise. So anyway, it's it's a good history to understand. I know we you know kind of went long at some points, but that's okay. It's not going to hurt anything for you to have this, and you'd understand that people made these theological arguments. You know, isn't it kind of interesting that when you read these and you listen to these uh, when they're being given, you can tell these men put thought into what they did. These people put thought, even in their answers, when you see the martyrs, the men and women, they put thought into what they did. They, the, the Lord impressed upon their hearts. They wrote these things down. Their testimonies are just phenomenal in what they went through and their answers to Antichrist. Because that's what they were doing. They, they, they knew that they were answering the beast system, the Antichrist. And that's why they stood against it. And uh, they stood for the Lord. So they knew what they believed. I, I look at America today, and these people that name the name, they don't know what they believe and why they believe it. I don't want that to be said about this church. I don't want somebody to ask you a question. And as you grow up, and you young people, and as you grow up, he's like, you, you don't even know why you believe what you believe. I want you to be able to give them an answer of why you believe it from the Scriptures. And then also say, you know, they, they, when they say something about history, you can say, well, I can talk to you about that too. Because we understand it. People, the, God's people need to be educated in these matters. And you don't need it from a Bible, big box Bible college. Because they're not going to do it anyway. They train people for ministry. Whatever that means. Right? I'm training you for life. Amen. This book is to be your life. It is to be your life. It is to be your way of life. It is to be everything to you. The Word of God is to be everything. It's to guide you and to give you everything you need. It's important that, that we feast on it and we believe it. They battled Antichrist and we battle it in this generation until that final one will come one day. But right now we battle against the spirit of Antichrist today. Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your words. Thank you, Lord, for those that have stood for the faith. Thank you, Lord, that we can do our small part even now by living it every day of our lives, loving the Word of God, loving each other, and, Lord, going out there and preaching the Bible and warning sinners to flee from the wrath to come and standing up against this beast system, this antichrist system that is to deceive the whole world. Lord, help us to be firm in the faith, to quit us like men and to be strong. Bless us all. Give us safety, Father. Meet all of our financial needs and our burdens that we have, our health needs, Lord, of people in our church, Lord, families that are sick. Please heal them and raise them up, Lord. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.